So, Lisa, why don't we ask you to share? Okay. Can everybody hear me all right? <clears throat> yes, I can hear you fine. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> well, this might not be quite what y'all had in mind. <laughs> um, I've been doing a reading plan that takes me through the entire Bible in a year, and I started it in January. I haven't done this type of Bible study in really a number of years where I just went through the entire Bible. So I found that I've really enjoyed reading some books that in the past were really much harder for me to read and understand. So when Mary called me about sharing um, one Sunday leading up to Easter, at the time I had been reading about the Jewish feast in Leviticus. And I've never really paid a lot of attention to these feasts. And, you know, they were tucked into all that information about ceremonial law and civil law and priestly duties and what to do if your oxen gored someone. Um, so I just had never really considered it very relevant. But as I had read about the Passover celebration, really right before Mary had called me, it had just struck me with awe at how Jesus had fulfilled um, the symbolic meaning of Passover by becoming that sacrificial lamb and even being put to death on the very day of Passover. And I, I was kind of mulling that over when she asked me. And so I guess what was on my heart was I really wanted to look at um, some of the other feast days that God had called his people to celebrate and how they too correlated with messianic prophecy, um, especially the first three feast days that all surround this time that we call Easter. Um, so that's sort of what I'm going to be sharing about this morning. Um, the purpose that God um, called the Israelites to celebrate these feasts annually was not only to remember his faithfulness, um, but I've read that the Jewish believers understood that the feast pointed to the coming Messiah. So as we are in this midst of Lenten season where we too are preparing our hearts for celebrating um, one of the most holy days of our Christian faith, the resurrection, I thought it would be fitting to um, look a little closer at some of these feast days. And so um, there are seven feasts that are, that are mentioned in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, and those seven feasts are separated into two groups. There are four spring feasts and there are three fall feasts. So I'm really just going to briefly describe the spring feast and just mention the fall feast. Um, in in um, Leviticus Leviticus 23 verses 4 through 8, it talks about Passover. Now, I know we all understand what the feast of Passover was about. Um, the children of Israel were to remember the plague of Egypt where the angel of death passed over the children of Israel. Um, the Israelites, though, for that to happen, had to apply the, um, to their doors the blood of the lamb of a lamb. And they dipped that blood using a hyssop branch and applied it to the top of the door, the lintel, and then on either side of the frame. And it was basically in the shape of a cross. 
and the blood of this sacrificial lamb applied to the house save the firstborn from death. Now, as part of the Passover celebration, each family had to choose a lamb on the 10th day of the month of Nisan, um, and they slaughtered it on the 14th day. During those four days, they had to be sure that this lamb was healthy, it was spotless, it was without flaw. And when it was sacrificed, of course, none of the bones could be broken. So it's interesting to me, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, it was John the Baptist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, who lived a sinless life and in his final week of life was examined and tested and proved holy by his responses. He was tortured and crucified and he died on the 14th day. None of his bones were broken, unlike the two thieves on either side of him. Jesus, who was born in a stable, visited by shepherds, lived a sinless life and then led to slaughter. The Lamb of God was crucified and died on the very day of Passover when thousands of Jewish people were bringing their lambs to the very priest who had condemned God's Lamb of God or the Lamb of God and ordered his death. And it just struck me as amazing how God orchestrated Jesus's death to fall on that very day of Passover that the Jews had been celebrating for thousands of years. The second feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, starting the day of Passover, the Israelites were to rid their home of all leaven or yeast. And this, feat, this feast represents the Israelites in their haste to leave Egypt. They had no time to leaven their bread. And since leaven represents sin and decay in the Bible, this feast symbolizes as they left Egypt, God freed them from captivity. So as Jesus was buried on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus, a holy sacrifice, without sin, lay in that tomb. His death, his burial, has set us free from the captivity of sin and the effects of it on our lives. Jesus' sinless life represents the unleavened bread. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. And Jesus remained untouched by human hands during the remainder of the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem, which meant the house of bread. Um, so that was the second feast. And the third feast was the Feast of First Fruits, which is described in Leviticus 23.10. Three days after the Passover, the Israelites celebrated the Feast of First Fruits. This feast is one of three festivals to thank and honor God for the harvest he had provided. This three-day ritual brought God's blessing on the spring feast and it also started the countdown of 50 days to the Feast of Weeks. This Feast of First Fruits was celebrated by first 
the farmer would go out to his field on the day of Passover. He would find the ripest sheaf of barley and he would bind a cord around it, marking it as the first fruit. The next day, he would cut that sheaf and would prepare it for the offering. And on the third day after Passover, he would bring the first fruit to the priest for his blessing. Now, Jesus rose from the dead three days after Passover. Paul called him the first fruit from the dead. First Corinthians 15, 20 says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So think about it. Jesus was bound in the garden when, Jesus, when Judas betrayed him. His trial began on the night of Passover. And by noon the next day, he was crucified. Three days after Passover, Jesus rose from the dead and presented himself to God. Jesus, the Messiah, the bread of life, the manna from heaven, laid down his life and was raised from the dead on the last day of the Feast of First Fruits. And then the fourth spring feast was the Feast of Weeks, or as we know it as Pentecost, described in Leviticus 23, 16. Fifty days after First Fruits, the children of Israel were to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost in order to thank God for the harvest. The feast is the second of the three harvest feasts and the Jews were required, were required to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. The harvest of grain was presented as a wave offering where you waved your sheath towards the four corners of the earth, symbolizing God's great provision spread throughout the whole entire world. Before Jesus died, he told the disciples that the harvest was great, but the workers were few. So he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the church was born with a harvest of 3,000 souls. A new crop of forgiven believers presented to God. And this message spread to both Jews and Gentiles, representing the two loaves of bread that was part of this feast of first weeks. Interesting enough, Pentecost was also when the Jews celebrated Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, this too was a sign of the new covenant which came on the very same day that God gave the old covenant. So the first four feasts of celebrations are considered the spring feasts that God instructed his people to observe. And they point to the first coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the first fruits and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a three month period remaining um, period before the remaining autumn feasts were celebrated. Now, it's generally believed that the last three feasts point to the second coming of Christ. In this summer period between the first four 
um, feast, the spring feast and the fall fruit feast are considered the church age, which we now live in. Um, of the three fall feasts, there's the Feast of Trumpets, which we believe, or most people believe, foreshadow the rapture of the church when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. The next feast was the Day of Atonement, which signals the second coming of Jesus when he returns for his people and all of Israel will look on him whom they pierced and they will repent at that point. And the last one, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths represents the final harvest when believers from all nations will share in the joy and blessing of God's kingdom and God will dwell with us forever. So that is all I had. Um, it just, it's just been such a blessing to see how God used these ancient feasts to perfectly show when Jesus came and died and you know what those feasts represent so so I thought it would sort of help us start out our Easter or resurrection season thinking about those feasts so that's all <laughs> thank you Lisa that was beautiful thank you so much we have quite a heritage that God has not he's not surprised us in some ways he's let it be known from uh, the beginning of his, his, his calling the people to himself, that um, even all of their celebrations, all of their times of repentance, uh, even their farming community, and when the first crops came in, Jesus, um, hallelujah. Thank you so much, Lisa. Mm -hmm.